Welcome to Expert Views on ADR Eva, the podcast about simplifying the traditional African method of selling disputes or the appropriate dispute resolution ADR in a bid to attract more users to settle their disputes or conflicts with mediation, arbitration, collaborative law, restorative justice, ombuds, negotiation, adjudication, conciliation, and of course, early neutral evaluation. My name is Chinwe Ebonike, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Brighton, United Kingdom, and the fellow of the American Bar Association section of dispute resolution. I'm delighted to welcome Elizabeth Hill to the EVA show. She is the vice chair of the American Bar Association, ABP section of dispute resolution, and the associate director at the University of Colorado, Boulder Ombuds Office. Before joining CU Boulder, Liz served as Arizona Assistant Attorney General, Assistant Ombudsman for the State of Arizona and Ombudsman for Apollo Education Group. She is a trained mediator and certified organizational Ombudsman practitioner. She served as the ABA section of dispute resolution budget officer and spring conference planning co-chair, as well as the chair of the International Ombudsman Association Corp. Certification Committee. She wears many hats, so I've left the link to her profile below. Let me stop sharing now. Welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you, Elise. Yes, thanks for inviting me. It's very fun to be here. Thank you. All right. Thank you so very much. So without further ado, the first question is, what is Ombuds or Ombudsman? Yes. And that is the, that is the great mystery. So the term ombuds is, as you've already alluded to, short for the full term ombudsman, right? So it's a Swedish word. Um, and if you were to Google it and look it up, I, I haven't done it in a while, but I think what you would find is it would say it's a representative or an agent of the people. So mm -hmm. it comes from, um, originally comes from Norse origins and like I said, a Scandinavian term. And so um, as we'll be talking about, you know, what that means and how that, what that looks like and work and the services has evolved over time. Um, but the original ombudsman in Sweden was really um, a representative of the people, right? To help ensure that people were heard and to help them resolve uh, their, their, whatever issues they were having. Um, and so even though it's evolved here in the U.S., which we'll talk about into different models and different practices, really the core tenant of all ombuds and all ombudsmen is really to help whoever their constituents are, um, you know, navigate and address issues at the lowest level possible. So it's really, I would, you know, in our ADR world, I would equate it to, it's a form of early dispute resolution. Oh, okay, thank you so very much. So I think you've touched a bit on the history um, on, on, of um, associated with ombudsman. So is there a difference between um, organizational and um, the traditional ombudsman? Yes, there is. But I do want to just, if, you, if I may, I just want to touch on the history a little bit. Oh, okay. People don't realize is that even though people haven't heard of it or don't know what it is, it's been around literally for centuries. So just to give some context to that, the first ombudsman was established in Sweden back in 1713. So this is not a new concept. Um, it was then codified into their constitution in the 1800s. And here in the US, which I know is the focus of our conversation, 
it really caught on in the 60s, in the 1960s. And the classical model, which we'll talk about when you refer to it as a traditional model, is really what mirrors or is most you know um, resemblance of that original model in Sweden. And that took hold here in the US in 1969. Hawaii, the state of Hawaii was the first to, um, to create that. So really here in the US, um, the 60s is when it started and the organizational ombuds model took hold also um, in the 60s, primarily in universities. Of course, now it's everywhere. It's in universities and government and corporate and healthcare. Um, nonprofits, right? Um, but that's just kind of give you a little more context of the timings. Yeah. Very new here, you know, in the U.S., so to speak. But yes, yeah, so I think your question was, is there a difference? Yeah. Yeah, so there is a difference. Yeah. Uh, so the classical model, you called it the traditional model, yeah. um, is, is mostly found in the public sector, right? And um, the classical arm, but I'm just going to look so I can I can try to be concise here. You know, they're typically, they're usually created by statute. Um, they're usually elected by constituents or appointed by a legislature. Um, and they have a little bit of a different role. They, they're found in the public sector. They handle usually citizen complaints or issues. And having served in that role in Arizona, I would say really their services boil down to really help coach people to help resolve their issues, right? Point them in the right direction, navigate the situation assist, maybe with their permission, with the people's permission, intervene and assist in resolving it or investigate. So that's one of the key distinctions is the classical model has investigatory power. Okay. Whereas in the organizational model, we do not. So we have slightly different standards of practice. Hmm. The classical ombuds, they are confidential, independent, impartial, and they have the credible review standard because they have to, when they do investigate, they have to use their influence and in a credible process to, um, you know, to get agencies to to hear them, right, and to comply mm -hmm. with recommendations. Um, the organizational ombuds also is confidential, independent, and impartial. But rather than a credible review, we have what we call an informal standard because we are, like I said, that early dispute. So we are typically embedded in organizations, all different kinds of organizations to help. Whatever our jurisdiction is, whatever our constituent group is, address and handle um, conflicts. But we do a lot more than that, too. We can talk more about that. Hmm. Okay, so how independent are they, um, the organizational ombudsman? Yeah, so the independence for organizational ombuds really boils down to reporting structure. So hmm. ideally, um, and this is according to the International Ombuds Association's, you know, standards of practice, code of ethics, and best practices, is that an organizational ombuds reports, and I use the I use the quotation marks because it's administrative reporting, really only, to the highest level possible. So in a university, that might be, you know, a chancellor or a president. In a corporation, that might be the chief executive officer. And that ensures that the, the ombudsman or the ombuds is not directly aligned with any of the departments or other <laughs> folks within the organization that they may be working with or helping or, you know, um, doing, you know, we do informal inquiries, yeah. um, you know, so we want to make sure we're not directly aligned with any of those partner up part of the management reporting structure, so to speak. Oh, okay. Thank you so very much. So how does the role of an ombudsman differ um, from that of a mediator or an arbitrator? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. So I'll start with the easiest one. We're different from an arbitrator because we do not have the power to make decisions, right? We don't mm -hmm. have a formal authority, a formal power to make decisions or overturn decisions. Okay. Um, so that would be, you know, a very different role. Um, mediator, we do do. So I should say not all organizational ombuds offer mediation services, but many do. Um, many are trained mediators. Some are attorneys, not all. We come from a variety of different backgrounds. Um, but mediation, I would say, is a couple of the differences. One is it's not our only tool. It's not the only service we provide. And I can talk more about what else we do. Mm -hmm. But I think it's different also because when people think of mediation, they think of like official mediation where there's, you know, uh, uh, agreements, written agreements to mediate, written agreements of the resolution, whatever that might look like. Ombuds do more of a facilitated conversation where we're there as a third party neutral to help them to help the participants navigate the conversation and come up with their own agreements and resolutions. Typically it's in a joint session. They're not caucus like in many mediated mediation models, mm -hmm. um, but we don't do any records. So we don't create any records around the mediation, the agreements that belong to the participants and they own them and hold each other accountable to them. We don't maintain records. We don't enforce it. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Thank you so very much. So, I don't know. Is that, is that helpful? Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So what um the pros and cons um associated with ombudsman? Yeah, so yeah, and I, I thought about this, you know, as I as I was preparing for this. And I would say so in addition, you know, I talked about some of the different services. So yeah. organizational ombuds, you know, mediation is one thing we can offer, but we also do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with people. So a lot of the work we do is at initial consultation, right? Where we're sitting and we're listening and we're asking questions. And typically it's about, for our office, about 90 minutes, that first call, just to get a feel for what's really going on. How can we help? What are the options for this person? So we listen, ask questions, explain. Ex, you know, develop and explore all the options. Yeah. And that person decides what do they want to do next. So um, many ombuds in the university setting, ours included, are not mandatory reporters. So we can really provide that safe space to really talk through and be candid without them worrying about losing control over that next step. They own whatever happens next. So to answer your question, um, I think the, one of the pros is that we are that zero barrier office, right? Truly that safe space to come. As soon as something doesn't feel right or so, something doesn't, some, something feels kind of off or they're not sure about where to go or how to handle something, we're a great first resource, which is also different than the classical model because they're more of a last resort, hmm. whereas organizational ombuds is really come early and often. Like the sooner we can help you think this through, probably the easier it'll be because I think it's have it maybe snowballed into a bigger, a bigger problem. Yeah. Um, so we can have that conversation and help you navigate um, the, the organization in that sense. Um, also, because we're not mandatory reporters and we're confidential, right? Again, going back to they own that next step. We're not, we don't dictate what they do. We're not required to report it. Um, our only exception to confidentiality is an imminent risk of physical harm to them or to someone else. The other thing I think as a pro is that um, most embedded organizational ombuds are very familiar with the culture, the policies, the procedures, right? So we can help them navigate that. And if we don't know the answer, we know where to find it, right? So we can gather the information without them having to do it, without them having to disclose their identity. 
Um, and it's really just having as an organizational ombuds, those relationships, that trust and credibility with the key stakeholders in the organization so that if we do need to escalate issues or surface patterns or systemic problems, um, we have an ear, right? We have someone who's willing to listen and hear what we have to say. Um, the cons are that going back to, we don't have the official authority, so we can't make anyone do anything mm -hmm. um, and we don't overturn the decision. So I would say those probably fall in that con bucket for probably many people. Um, but that's kind of an overview of the pros and cons, I would say. Okay, sorry, I think I wanted to take you back to the um um the um the cost and time frame. I wanted to clarify how many days does it take um the organizational um ombudsman to settle a case. So yeah, so we don't so so set up the case isn't a term we would use. Oh. Um, you know, they're not, these aren't our clients. We call them visitors. Um, so it, it varies. To answer your question, it varies. Sometimes it's really just that phone call, right? That first phone call, they just need someone to talk through it. Maybe they're really coming up with their own solutions, their own ideas of how they want to move forward. And they, they're that now empowered, right? We can maybe offer them some coaching, give them some skills to navigate or have a difficult conversation or to go and use other resources on, on in, within the organization. And yeah. then that's, we don't. We never hear from them again. They've gone. They're they're moving on. We don't always even know what happens, right? Oh, and that's it. Okay, cool. Times, other times though, right? It's ongoing, right? Yeah. That's very. You know, as you can imagine, some of these situations get very complicated. There's a lot of different um, uh, factors involved. A lot of different people involved. With the visitor's permission, we can reach out. We can do shuttle diplomacy and go back and forth between different people. We can bring other people into the conversation. We can gather information. So all of that follow-up, especially if it ends up like in a mediation, maybe two or three or four mediation sessions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that many hours over months, literally. Um, or maybe we're taking information and anonymously escalating it. Like maybe we have a whistleblower situation. They don't want their identity. We work with them, we gather, we compartmentalize the information and then we surface the information. That too can go on for months depending on the severity of the, of the concerns and allegations. All right, thank you so very much. So, Liz, with the, um, when you compare the cost of um litigation to ombudsman, mm -hmm. what would you what do you have to say about it? Is it more cheaper or costlier? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if there's like corporate um leaders out there who are weighing the cost benefit analysis, yeah. I mean, I haven't litigated in a really long time. I am an attorney. I used to be a tax attorney. I haven't been involved in that process for quite some time, but I can only imagine you know, um, the cost and time involved in taking something from the beginning of a complaint through a trial, let's say. And I would I would venture to guess, um, and there was some research on the IOA website about this, about the cost benefit analysis and mm -hmm. comparing, you know, not only, not only articulating the value of organizational ombuds, but also the savings, right? The cost savings, reputational savings, yeah. right? For organizations to resolve things early. But to answer your question, I mean, I'm going to venture to say us handling one complaint that may have gone to EEOC for discrimination, which may have turned into a lawsuit, probably pays my salary, you know? Yeah. Probably more than my salary. <laughs> and that's one case. 
my god okay thank you so very much and um, so what issues um can an ombudsman help resolve in a workplace and setting yeah that's a great question so again i'm just going to briefly say it depends on the jurisdiction that organizational ombuds has right oh, okay. so some people only deal with staff some people only deal with students some people only deal with maybe faculty um so in different organizations it'll look different as to what kinds of issues they're working with uh, but how that said it can be any issue related to that organization. So I'll speak from my own personal experience at the University of Colorado Boulder, we deal with all constituents, uh -huh. all students, staff, faculty, parents, contractors, internal, external, doesn't matter. If it's an issue related to the university, we're happy to talk it through with you. Um, so as you can imagine, that can, that ranges everything from you know your your interpersonal dispute, communication concerns and issues, all the way up through discrimination, sexual harassment, fraud, research misconduct, um, policy procedure violations, everything in between. It's really a very broad. We never know. That's what I love is that uh, I never know who I'll be talking to or what we'll be talking about on any given day. I just show up and. And I <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Thank you so very much. So um, how can an ombudsman maintain confidentiality um, while those uh, um, addressing concerns brought to his um, attention, his or her attention? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So mm -hmm. confidentiality is a cornerstone, right? We take it very, very seriously. And without getting into the weeds, you know, the, the confidentiality belongs to the ombuds. And so we do really honor that. So to answer your question, what we can do is we can often, um, if the person wants us to intervene, so they don't always want us to intervene. Often they come to us, right? We don't maintain any identifying records, whether they've come to us, what we've talked about, any of that. So they often will go on and do their own thing and no one knows they even came to ombuds, right? But we've helped them behind the scenes, right? Other situations where they do want us to intervene, we can do so in a couple of different ways. We can maintain, if it's a case where it's, we can speak generally enough, we can maintain their anonymity, right? We don't have to disclose where the information is coming from or who we've met with. Now, of course, if it's a very specific situation that only applies to that person, then we have to talk that through with the visitor to say, it's not going to be hard, right, for people to figure out where this came from, you have to decide if you're comfortable with that or not. And if they're not, then we don't do it. But oftentimes we can present information as a hypothetical or just a general question or a general inquiry that can help resolve whatever's going on without identifying the individual involved. Oh, okay, thank you. So what qualifications or trainings are required to um, become an ombudsman? Yeah, so there's no like direct path. There's no like ombuds degree per se. Um, and like I said earlier, ombuds come from many different backgrounds, experiences, and educations. We are finding more and more, and I I think the research would show this that I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that um, there's a lot of different programs out there, Pepperdine and others, who do have conflict and dispute resolution. Um, like certifications or master degrees. So people are, are more and more joining ombuds after attending those kinds of um, educational um, preparation um, and, and getting those and seeking those degrees. Um, there's also the International Ombuds Association for organizational ombuds. Again, we're not talking about classical or advocate ombuds. Um, has a foundations course. Um, it's a multi-day course online and in person. 
um, oh. that can help prepare organizational ombuds for yeah. the work. And then they also provide ongoing training. And there's, and of course, ombuds can get training from many different places, you know, whether it's for um, mediation, negotiation, coaching, um, neuroscience, because there's a lot of a lot of organizational ombuds really boils down to psychology, um, oh. which, which is a big learning curve for a lot of people. Communication, right? How to be an effective communicator. So there's a lot of different pieces of being an organizational ombuds. And so lots of different training out there. Like I said, IOA, the International Ombuds Association provides a lot of it. We also have a certification. You mentioned that I was a certified organizational ombuds practitioner. We do have a certification process for practicing ombuds. Once they've had um, 2000 hours of um, work as an ombuds, there's a task and an interview they go through, process they go through, they can become certified in that regard. Oh, all right. Thank you so very much. So final question is, uh, what is the way forward for the mass advocacy of ADR? So say that one more time. I'm sorry. What is the way forward for the mass advocacy of ADR? Oh, way forward to yeah. advocate for ADR. Yeah. I think it's like doing things like this. I think what you're doing is so wonderful, you know, okay. just really raising awareness. Yes. Um, there's so many different variations like you know even as you've probably got a glimpse today there's different like there's different models of ombuds and even within those models they yeah. practice and do things a little different so yeah. i'm sure the same is true for mediators arbitrators um there's so many different mediation models so i think to your point it's getting the word out doing podcasts doing programming getting involved with aba they've got a wonderful section of dispute resolution that really explores all of that yeah, thank you so very much, um, okay. um, Lisbeth, for you know, um, all the learning you shared and your insights and perspective, um, um, you shared on the show. I truly appreciate you, um, taking our time to come on on the show. Um, and I so believe that um, that potential users would embrace all you have stated here, and especially the benefits and effectiveness of um, ombudsman, and then um, up for ombuds whenever the need arises. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. very much. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. And um, and I'll give you my contact information you can share as well if people want okay. to talk to you. All right. No worries. Bye. Take care. Cheers. Thanks.